Okay, I'm gonna try it. Funnel Fairy Butter Bar, Funnel Fairy Butter Bar, Funnel Fairy Butter Bar, Funnel Fairy Butter Bar, Funnel Fairy Butter Bar. Wow, that's hard. The following is an in-depth story analysis and retrospective. If you haven't seen this film, you might want to before listening to this review. Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is fascinating. I don't like it, but I can't hate it. Diehard fans will say I don't understand it, and they'll be right. I don't understand how it came to be what it is. I don't understand how Zack Snyder, Chris Terrio, and David Goyer however much input he actually had on the script, conceived of this ambitious, bizarre, towering, convoluted, bewildering, mind-boggling, counterintuitive, over-the-top, bombastic, completely unapologetic, completely sure of itself, everything-and-the-kitchen-sink monster of an epic and the whopping five-film franchise it was intended to be a part of. I don't understand why the studio would want a tone and aesthetic so off the beaten path from the mainstream versions of these characters. But then I wonder that about Man of Steel, too. It's cool if you're doing multiple different versions, and it works a lot better now with multiple universes trying different takes on these characters, like Joker and the Batman. But when this was intended to be the shared universe to rival Marvel's, this experimental world bordering on rated R and then crossing the border in the Ultimate Edition is supposed to be the definitive take on these characters? I appreciate taking interesting risks, not just following a standard formula, making what you want to make and hoping the audience is there for it. But you have to balance that with a little business sense. And you've got to show you understand the rules while you're breaking them. We have a 50-year-old Batman at the start of this multi-film franchise, which happens to start just three years before Robert Downey and Chris Evans end up retiring their decade-plus heroes. And we kill Superman before we or this fictional world even have time to know and appreciate and understand him. And just after it's heavily implied he's one girlfriend's death away from becoming a fascist dictator. Now, allegedly, the plan was to kill Batman down the line, but we did that with Superman, and he comes back too, so I have no idea if Batman would have stayed dead. We've got The Flash already trying to change the timeline in this movie, so there's no reason to assume that that's not going to be used as a reset button later. This watch is like Crazy Town Elseworlds Fair, not the cultural crossover event the world has apparently been waiting for with bated breath since these characters were conceived, according to every interview with most everyone involved, not to mention the marketing machine. I don't understand how setting up a proper shared DC universe begins with combining the Dark Knight Returns, Death of Superman, and the formation of the Justice League a la Jeff John's kinda horrid origin story in his New 52 run. After Man of Steel didn't perform quite as well as Warners had hoped, it was successful, but not the runaway hit Iron Man was, which is what they really needed it to be, and it was polarizing with critics, which also didn't happen to Marvel's first outing. So I don't understand how Zack Snyder was still made the Kevin Feige of the new DC movie universe, 
and had even more control. He was allowed to attempt a five-movie opus, could make it as violent and hard-edged as he wanted, as long as the theatrical versions could be toned down enough to get a PG-13 rating, and he had seemingly complete creative freedom, until this movie was even more critically blasted and was even more disappointing for the suits at the box office. The last superhero movie he made for Warner Brothers before Man of Steel, Watchmen, was not a big hit, and the response to Man of Steel was lackluster. I get not going back to the drawing board. It's already 2013, and Marvel already has an Avengers under its belt, and this is your second attempt since Green Lantern, which was an actual, dismal, universally maligned failure. But if I'm Warner Brothers, why in the name of Zod would I give Snyder the keys to this chocolate factory? I don't get how transparently rushed and bloated a mad dash to catch up to Marvel and the Avengers the sequel to Man of Steel turned out to be. I was afraid we were in trouble from that direct-to-video animated movie title. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, makes it sound like there is no justice in the world until Batman fights Superman. And his name is first, even though this is Superman's sequel, implying that he's more important and maybe even is going to have to teach Superman how to be Superman. Big throwdown, and now we got justice. It's basically a plot synopsis or a logline as the name of the movie. Might as well call it Batman and Superman fight, then the Justice League forms. Before this franchise, you had silly, complete sentence titles in Batman movies. Batman Begins, The Dark Knight Rises, but at least those don't spoil the ending. It's one of the most corporate movie titles ever, perhaps only surpassed now by the DCEU's next two movies for the price of one that aren't remotely blended naturally together, the Birds of Prey and the fantabulous shoehorning in of one ostensible cash cow, Harley Quinn. I still prefer the title I came up with before we had a title. The Man of Steel returns on a dark night. Still cutesy, still a complete sentence, and totally derivative, but it doesn't give away the ending, and it's a lot less pretentious than putting a V in your title like it's a courtroom drama, and not a thing the studio is selling like a prize boxing match to capitalize on America's obsession with the least interesting age-old question of all time. Who would win in a fight between Batman and Superman? People have only cared about that because it's a popularity contest. Why hasn't the question always been which of those characters is more interesting or should be more popular? I don't get how they expected anyone to follow this or to believe most of its characters' motivations and not to laugh at it at the most unexpected places. It watches like a movie that came from another dimension, where the laws of compelling storytelling and narrative logic are different from our own and it's proudly built on all three C's of lazy storytelling. Contrivance, convenience, and convolution. Star Trek Discovery and the rest of the Alex Kurtzman-led Star Trek shows also come from that dimension. BVS is so many things and their opposites. It's ultra-stylized and also trying to be ultra-realistic. It's zany, but completely self-serious. It's macho, but embarrassingly sappy. It's high-octane and boring. It's unpredictable and obvious. It's insanely cool and so, so lame. It reinvents source material in some of the most creative and thought-provoking ways, but it presents other source material in the dumbest ways possible. It is one of the most surprisingly comic book-looking superhero movies ever made, and it does some of the same disappointing, gaudy, generic action movie CG jobs a dozen other superhero movies have done. Yes, I'm talking about Doomsday in both of the last two statements. 
I love the look created by Watchmen's Larry Fong, but I hate that I can't reconcile it with the more grounded aesthetic of Man of Steel. I love the total lack of realism and the complete fantasy I'm thrown into, but I hate that the movie doesn't seem to know it's a melodrama. I love the bombastic, jarring, theatrical, often operatic score, but I hate that all the chefs in this kitchen seem to have their own ideas about what the whole meal is supposed to taste like. Hans Zimmer is sometimes scoring a sequel to Man of Steel, because that's sometimes what this is, and sometimes he's scoring cats. When we get to Lex's theme, which sounds like it belongs in a requiem, I can't help but feel like Zimmer is making fun of the material. I love the way Batman looks, finally losing the all-black and the armor, again not worried about being totally realistic and how he moves, grappling around like he's in an Arkham game. That stuff's awesome. But I hate the heavy Dark Knight Returns inspiration in a story that's lacking in all of the sophistication and nuance of that story. Zack Snyder should have just made a full-on adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns. I've loved his adaptations, but disliked every original thing I've seen from him. He probably would have done a masterful job at that. And no, I wouldn't want that to be the foundation of the definitive on-screen DC Universe either. But in hindsight, it seems like a more reasonable idea than this. It's everything I have ever wanted in a superhero movie and everything I most despise in superhero movies. It is the best of times. It is the worst of times. It's paradoxical. And let me say, it's strange reviewing this movie now, knowing that there's finally more to come of what this movie was laying the foundation for, with the Justice League Snyder cut, even if it still won't be exactly the movie he would have made had BVS been more successful. Because, of course, the theatrical version is mostly not Snyder's vision, was done at the 11th hour, and was perhaps the worst patchwork attempt at course correction in cinematic history. I wanted to talk about this and the theatrical version of Justice League before I had seen that movie, the way they've been swimming in my head the last few years and before the new stuff has the chance to change public perception about them. It's possible we see more of that come to fruition. I want to talk about this before that is a clear inevitability. I thought these would serve as better retrospectives, and as insanely long as at least this one will be, it'll be that much shorter without talking about it in relation to the Snyder Cut, whatever that does with this material. But because of that, I am talking about a story that isn't actually finished yet, and may never be. I may have a different read on Superman and how he sees the world after we find out how some of the dark side stuff plays out. In Man of Steel, Superman seems uncertain about who he wants to be and what he stands for. But I wouldn't have called him a fascist, although he's showing potential signs of that with that uncomfortable bit with the satellite he rips out of the sky at the end. Here I feel like he very well could have those tendencies. I certainly feel somewhat differently about Man of Steel after this movie, and not in a good way. This movie made me feel like I gave Man of Steel too much credit. The struggle to communicate ideas I described there became a three-hour, one-sided conversation in sign language with no interpreter. I wondered how much of the problem was Snyder not knowing how to present ideas clearly, and how much it was that he didn't actually know what he was saying. It's hard not to turn into Jesse Eisenberg's Lex talking about this movie. I can't get my thoughts together. I don't know how to talk coherently or articulately about this movie. It defies all logic. 
It makes me question everything I thought I understood about the universe. A two plus two equals infinity, disco and rap are the same thing, up is down, everything you know is wrong, and I am going to be ready to be picked up by the men in white coats by the end of this thing. I have never experienced so many contradictory emotions watching a movie as I did Batman v Superman in the movie theater. Wonder, shock, joy, anger, euphoria, despair... I think my whole life flashed before my eyes. It felt like I had died, like Superman, and then came back to life as the credits rolled. And I was never the same again. I made a video, sitting in the movie theater parking lot, and posted it before I saw BVS. You can go see it still. It was about how I was still the version of myself that had yet to see this potentially groundbreaking or massive misfire of a superhero movie. I miss being that guy. His was a simpler life. I think Joker's line at the beginning of The Dark Knight can be applied to life as well as people. I'll paraphrase. Whatever doesn't destroy the world simply makes it stranger. I have no idea how to tackle material like this. So, like Zack Snyder, I'm just going to grope around in the dark for a few hours and hope for the best. You expect this kind of surreal, indescribable experience watching a low-budget cult horror movie, not one of the most mainstream, overly-hyped, overly-marketed, mega-merchandised, mass-consumer juggernauts of all time. It's like if the majority of people in the country, maybe the world, all went through that trippy boat ride in the tunnel in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory right after they'd bought the cereal and the coloring books and the model kits. I mean, there was no knowing where we were rowing, and even two hours in, there were certainly no signs that it was slowing. Every time I thought, it must be at its nuttiest, it was like Michael Keaton came on screen to say, You wanna get nuts? Come on! Let's get nuts! This is a movie filled with dichotomies that's not nearly as much about duality as your average Superman or Batman film. And I feel like Alex Murphy, trying to process all those new directives from Robocop 2, they just don't compute. There are two Batmans. There are at least two Supermans. There is only a quarter of a Wonder Woman. And there are even two different movies. The one I'm watching, and the one Zack Snyder claims he's making. The movie Zack Snyder explains for three hours in his lockdown watch party from early 2020 is not what I'm watching. We're talking, of course, about the Ultimate Edition because the theatrical cut is simply incomplete. This is the movie. I may mention differences between the cuts here and there, but this isn't a Daredevil director's cut situation. This isn't a different movie, it just presents it like the Ultimate Watchmen cut, the way it was intended to be seen, but was cut for time and adult content in the theater. So let me break down the story Snyder says he made. Batman used to be a hero in the truest sense, but has lost his way, teetering on the edge because the world hasn't gotten any better under his watch, and the newly revealed Superman represents a potential totalitarian power he can't control. Superman has all the traditional principles the character has stood for classically. He's setting an idealistic, hopeful example for a cynical world hanging on a thread just like Batman is, but Batman can't see that. So he sets out to destroy that hopeful beacon because he mistakes it for the opposite, a portent of the collapse of civilization, all while he's becoming exactly what he fears. Superman has to prove that he's a human being, not a would-be god, that they not only have more in common than not, namely their desire to make the world a better place, but that Superman is the hero Batman used to be. 
Yes, some people have gotten hurt as a result of Superman's actions, but there was nothing he could do about that. Batman doesn't understand Superman's morality because he doesn't believe in it anymore, and Superman reminds him of what's important by making the stakes personal with his revelation that all he cares about is saving his mother, who has been kidnapped. It's not about who might be a psychotic despot tomorrow. That's the Hydra from Winter Soldier's school of saving the world. It's about saving human beings with faces. Real, good people who remind you why it all matters in the first place, today. Superman is the ultimate symbol of hope, which Batman desperately needs. So he finds himself again and helps Superman stop the real threat, Lex Luthor and Doomsday, and then is inspired again to follow in his example when Superman sacrifices his own life to stop that threat. That's the movie Snyder says he made. Now let me tell you what I saw. I saw still a little-spoken Superman who looks conflicted and isolated and is totally separate from the world. I don't have a good sense most of the time of what he thinks or feels, but he's always unhappy. Most people seem to think he's here to do good, but he feels as alien as ever, and when he's in costume, he seems distanced and above the masses. Some see him as a god, and maybe that's because whether he means to or not, he kind of acts like one. He doesn't communicate anything until he's summoned to a Senate hearing after he's framed for acting alone against a foreign state, and it's too late. He doesn't get a chance to say anything there. He's honestly kind of scary, and if I saw that look of disdain on his face whenever he showed up to help people, I'd be afraid of him too. Batman has a point when he's worried Superman could be a threat, if not now, sometime down the road. Batman has lost his way, branding criminals with his symbol and such, but Superman seems as uncertain as he is. It's like they're in the world of Watchmen. Then Batman is running bad guys over with his Batmobile, seemingly outright murdering people, and I'm wondering how the brand is going too far when no one is talking about the carnage he's causing out in the open. Is that all new too? We have a Clark Kent investigating Batman because he's terrorizing his own neighborhood, but that same guy keeps telling Lois she is his world and doesn't seem to care about anything other than her. And then Batman has a dream or a vision of a despotic Superman executing people and stringing him up in the desert, telling Batman again that Lois is his world, punctuated by the Flash saying Lois is the key and you were always right about him. And that's in a movie where later, Superman tells Lois no one stays good in this world and comes very close to killing Batman because a lunatic claims he'll spare his mother if he dies. You see how I might think we're watching the birth of the evil injustice Superman here? So now I'm thinking Superman could crack at any moment. I don't understand which version of either of these characters I'm supposed to pay attention to. When he's in costume, Superman doesn't seem to have any moral compass at all. Clark and Superman really feel like totally different characters to me. And Batman might have just hit a temporary rock bottom, but then I'm not sure, again, if his killing people is normal. He's still doing it in the warehouse after his come-to-Jesus moment, which is almost literal with Superman, where he magically decides not only to stop hunting Superman, but that he can be 100% trusted. Before, he thought Superman must be treated as the enemy if there was even a 1% chance he might be. I didn't see a Batman inspired by Superman's ethics, but by the fact that Superman has a mom, like him, 
with the same name as his mom. Maybe the idea is supposed to be that Batman realizes Superman is a good man now who will only become the monster if he has a knight like Batman did, if he loses one of the people who matters to him most, like Bruce did with his parents, which turned him into something that verges on monster. What would Bruce have become if that happened to him and he had Superman's powers? Maybe that's what all the flashbacks to his parents' death are there to convey in that scene. But I'm not getting any of that in the moment, if that's the point. It plays so contrived, and Bruce's Scrooge-like transformation is crazy rushed. I'm just getting Bruce doesn't want to relive the night his mother died, so he'll help Superman save her. And now he's distracted from all the reasons he didn't trust Superman. And even if the point is Batman doesn't want to be the thing that turns Superman bad, none of this negates that vision where Superman is evil because Lois died. And after that, they're no longer the dark, watchman-like, satirical heroes mirroring the classic white hats who do no wrong they're based on. They are those white hats. They're the best of friends now. It's a different movie. It isn't a story that gradually transforms a cynical world into a more optimistic one. That would be great. It watches like a cynical movie that does a bad sleight of hand trick, and suddenly, presto, it's an optimistic movie. Superman makes the ultimate sacrifice to complete the obvious Jesus metaphor from Man of Steel, and so there doesn't have to be a conversation about how Batman thought Superman was the biggest threat to humanity moments earlier. Yes, they're both manipulated by Lex Luthor, but Bruce's whole outlook on life was thrown out of whack by Superman's apparent disregard for life when he fought Zod, well before Lex was involved. That maddeningly convoluted conspiracy hardly seems necessary. Pretty sure Batman and Superman would try to take each other out eventually without Lex. The frame job at the beginning isn't a bad idea to tip the scales in the direction of the cynics, but after that, Lex is really just there to contrive a way to get a big monster at the end. And now, inspired not by a man, but by convenient and contrived circumstances, Batman resolves to find more heroes to fight the otherworldly threat he saw in his dream with an evil Superman. And I couldn't help in the theater but think, Marvel's about to get to Thanos, they gotta hurry up and get to Darkseid. Zack Snyder did not make the movie he says he made. He made a movie featuring Batman filled with question marks and with the Riddler nowhere in sight. I'm fighting the urge to do nothing but ask questions with this review. I will resist that until later, when the inquisitive dam bursts open, because nothing on Earth will be able to stop it. I'm gonna say it, BVS is Granny's peach tea. It's one thing masquerading as something else. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to talk about that whole thing any more than I have to. How's that for a food metaphor? This film is the best example there has ever been of concept over execution. In his live commentary, Zack Snyder sounds like Todd McFarlane in the Spawn animated series openings, explaining some pretty decent thematic ideas and characterizations that make a lot of sense and might get me thinking if only they were fully realized, or sometimes realized at all, in the actual story. And it's pretty telling that Snyder spends the majority of that three hours interpreting his own material. If it was evident in the piece, it wouldn't need a translator. To be clear, I don't like everything in even what Snyder is describing. If the whole reason for making this movie has to be a huge physical confrontation between these two icons, the first time they're finally in a live-action movie together, like I Am Legend predicted back in 2007, 
Why can't it be thoughtful about it like the world's finest movie was from Superman the Animated Series, which had them as rivals in a sense, but didn't resort to a big knockdown drag out fight? It should either be about how these opposites complement each other, like that was, or if it's about an argument, make it an ideological one. The classic debate about which has the better philosophy on justice, optimism versus pessimism, a belief in the inherent good in human beings versus an innate distrust in people. And it should be a debate about methodology, hope versus fear. If this was just a fun roller coaster ride, though, all surface, not heady, not wanting to be any kind of deconstruction or social commentary or the important cultural touchstone this clearly aims to be, a big, dumb, loud popcorn blockbuster that's consistent and straightforward, maybe I could have been won over on that, at least to some degree, like Batman versus Ninja Turtles. I'd be disappointed if this weren't made for me as a big fan of both of these characters, but I could respect and accept a thing that is for a different audience. This is both for me and not for me at all. And it's dead serious. It has seen important superhero movies resonate with audiences and make poignant and profound statements about the world around us, and it wants desperately to be one of those. And as pretentious and overstated it ultimately is, there is one of those baked in here somewhere. Again, concept over execution. It's another deconstruction of superheroes from the lens of today's uncaring world that degenerates into a sappy and unearned celebration of superheroes which aren't featured until a light switch is flipped and they turn into those. It's a story about really heavy issues, like whether men in power can retain their compassion and moral center, and if people like that do exist, whether the public would allow them to use that power for good, or if jealousy and paranoia would set in and ruin it. Like The Dark Knight, it questions whether a hero can continue being a hero forever without getting jaded or corrupt. Or if they never do, it's just because they die before that happens. It's about people's need for something to believe in, and the enormous and impossible pressure put on whoever that is. It's about relative godhood. It's about how all actions, even the best actions, can have unintended negative consequences. Which is the point of that weird Jonathan Kent scene about that time he accidentally flooded the Lang farm while eating his hero cake. Power is relative, and no one is perfect. And at the heart of this movie are three very different but equally flawed characters, each trying to do what we're all trying to do, making sense of the world around us. Stories are about protagonists who want something. Our protagonist and antagonist here are looking for consistency in this movie. What they all have in common is some degree of various sorts of power, and they each use that power to mold the world to their own worldview. Batman says his parents taught him the world only makes sense if you force it to. He, Superman, and Lex Luthor all do that in different ways and to create different realities for themselves. Batman sees a cynical world where men are not all good, but some of them, I guess, are brave, he knows he can never fully stop the floodgates of crime, but as long as he's always dealing with mortal men, it's manageable. It's a world he can, to some degree, control. Superman is the unstoppable wild card, and if he can't be trusted, Batman thinks he has to be destroyed, or that manageable world is gone. He has to kill Superman to maintain order, and so he doesn't feel like his crusade has been pointless. Superman can render Batman's mission and his entire life meaningless in a second if he wants to. He feels like he's literally going up against the god. 
Batman's worldview only works if there is no such thing. And same thing with Lex Luthor, who also sees a cynical world where not all men are good and men with too much power can't be and shouldn't be expected to be good. Without Snyder's interpretation, I'm not sure how this Lex sees Superman. He either thinks he flies too much in the face of Lex's philosophy, that God cannot be all good and all powerful, like he is that, and Lex won't accept it, or he can't stand that people see him that way when Lex can tell Superman himself isn't. Maybe Lex needs validation for his own plotting and manipulation, a justification for the way he wields his own power. He's neurotic and can't stand contradiction. I don't know how much of that is a mental condition and how much is the classic Lex motivation, needing to be rid of the altruistic savior who only uses his power for good, when he, even when he's helping the world, has purely narcissistic motivations, based on the way his father treated him, and his credibility is challenged, and the status quo that supports it is challenged by someone who could take over the world in five minutes, but chooses not to. Either way, Lex here needs Superman dead because of that contradiction. And Superman sees an optimistic or cynical world, depending on your interpretation. I'm so walled off from him, I'm honestly not sure which it is. Either it's optimistic, but he has his faith shaken by the explosion in the Senate chamber and the kidnapping of his mother, but he ultimately prevails because Batman restores his faith by trusting him once having a mother named Martha convinces Batman he isn't a threat. Remember, before he goes to fight Batman, he tells Lois, no one stays good in this world. Or he also has a cynical worldview from the beginning where he wants to use his powers for good, but feels alienated and like the world won't allow him to really be Superman, and maybe can't even decide if it deserves him. In the first scenario, he sacrifices himself at the end to force the world to make sense his own way. You can stay good if you're willing to pay the ultimate price to save the world. That Dark Knight Harvey Dent idea. If it's the cynical thing, and this is pretty dark, but how it always felt to me, Superman is kind of taking the easy way out at the end. He's either going to become a tyrant because he loses the woman he loves, or he's going to be the sacrificial lamb to save that same woman, more than the world itself, which he seems to feel disconnected from. It always looked to me like he was going out of his way to commit suicide in that moment. Either way, Superman dies in his own quest to make sense of the world, deciding his place is in sacrificing himself for it, just as Lex and Batman each try to kill him as they're trying to make sense of the world. I too am trying desperately to make sense of this world, and I feel like I am failing miserably. This movie is maddening to try to analyze because it's terrible at communicating its ideas clearly, and its method of storytelling is totally backwards. You've got a visual director in Snyder who wants to present his narrative mostly through pictures, but scene by scene, he seems more interested in images and conveying a particular feeling than he is in telling me what's actually going on. This is certainly not the kind of movie that you could watch without the sound off and have any idea what's going on. Although the sound isn't helping me much either. Terio could be making up for this in his dialogue, but these characters, especially Superman, are often monosyllabic, just like in Man of Steel. I don't want a bunch of forced exposition and dialogue, but I would love to know how characters feel about things, and to ask and answer natural questions any real person would in the moment. Snyder is like Tim Burton in his Batman movies. It's visual art before it's narrative art. But the difference is, 
as much as I don't care for Batman Returns, that at least doesn't have this sort of pretense. It maybe presents itself too much like a straightforward story about real characters I'm supposed to be invested in when it's really just about the atmosphere and imagery, but it isn't trying to be a serious meditation on socio-political issues or a commentary on the relevancy of the superhero archetype in today's world. If you're going to be about that stuff, you got to have the writing to back it up. A lot of these ideas are potentially compelling, but it falls apart because these characters and their actions just don't ring true, and the road we have to drive down in exploring them is so windy and bumpy and full of plot holes. I mean, potholes. And by the way, I think you can have your cake and eat it too on this. I think you can ask the big questions. Who watches The Watchmen? Should heroes be allowed to work unilaterally without government oversight? Could we trust people with superpowers just based on their track record and still let heroes be heroic and let them be flawed human beings but still inspiring? Civil War did a lot of what this movie thinks it's doing much more effortlessly and in the same year. To think, Marvel had already well-established its universe and created enough goodwill it felt comfortable pitting several of its heroes together over a political issue in what is essentially its third Avengers movie, while DC tried that in just its second movie, while sprinting sloppily toward its first big team movie, and without any of the thoughtful discussion or legwork necessary to make me believe in each side, and to make me wonder who to root for, because they both make a good argument, like Iron Man and Captain America. Batman and Superman don't talk to each other, unless you count the kind of unrealistic smack talk I'd expect to see in a WWE fight. Do you bleed? Consider this mercy. I guess the nice thing about hardly anybody in the MCU having a secret identity is that you don't have that temptation to make them different people in and out of costume. The reason I'm not sure who to root for in this case is because there is no argument. These guys each think the other one is dangerous, and they're both right! We finally get to see Batman and Superman on screen together, and I feel like the best thing for the world is if they both went home and never fought crime again. And Civil War even has a villain in Zemo who is also manipulating the good guys into a big fight at the end, and while some of that seems a little typical and easy to me too, it's way more compelling and organic than this. At the very least, I always know what's happening in that movie. And that, sadly, became the gold standard for me at the beginning of the DCEU. That's how low my expectations were after this. I just want events to follow logically. And then, I had to sit through Suicide Squad. It's baffling that this film is such a quagmire, but also seems to be unusually uncompromised. A clear vision, exactly what Snyder wanted to make. And yet, I wonder what the conversations were like with Warner executives. Is it the studio or Snyder that is so desperate to hurry up and get to the big shared universe event movie? It feels like there couldn't have been any studio interference because how on earth would this be the result of micromanaging? And yet, the Justice League stuff is so shoehorned in, and the choice of a Superman sequel that introduces Batman, makes him a dual protagonist, throws Wonder Woman in there for good measure, and gets justice in the title would suggest a cynical corporate strategy. A conventional wisdom that says you're leaving money on the table if you don't get your own Avengers out tomorrow. BVS was sold on the novelty of finally seeing Batman and Superman on screen in a live-action movie, like a big crossover thing, but that's a lot less novel if you're not coming to see two versions you're already invested in. 
Sure, you could introduce Batman in a Superman movie, but it's not the same thing as finally seeing Iron Man and Captain America as dual protagonists in a story after seeing movies about them separately. And it's made more awkward by the fact that no status quo for Batman is established before it's broken. I'm introduced to Affleck's Batman as essentially an anti-hero, who used to be a more traditional Batman, but I don't get to see him do that stuff. It's too informed by the iconic nature of these characters. It's a setup movie that keeps forgetting it's a setup movie. I'm supposed to take things for granted I can't, like that Superman stands for his traditional values and that he can't see through lead. Why does everyone seem to know that in this world? Lois never printed a story about it, like she did in the Christopher Reeve movie. Oh, because that's a detail that's been in the lore forever. Everyone knows that. Surely the audience won't ask those kinds of questions. It's kind of like the MCU avoiding even mentioning Peter Parker's origin two movies in. Eh, we all know that already, and we're tired of seeing it. So let's not do that again, and we'll just expect the audience to assume it's the traditional version. But that's stuff that informs this new version. I don't know if everything in Batman's past is as I expect it to be, or who the man was before he started branding people. Sure, we see his parents murdered in an alley, we know there was a Joker and a Robin that died, Alfred is traditional enough in that he helps Batman even if he disapproves, and is one of the only characters in this deadly serious mess allowed to crack a hint of a joke, but this is a world that's already gone counter to tradition all over the place in Man of Steel. What with a Superman with no Fortress of Solitude, who doesn't put on his glasses until the last few seconds of the movie, and who never has to hide his identity from Lois. But I'm expected to appreciate this the same way I would if Christian Bale's Batman were here instead, and I can't because I'm playing catch-up the whole time. The second movie after Man of Steel should have been one of three things, Man of Steel 2, Batman 1, or Justice League. Either establish what your Superman status quo is going to look like before you shake it up by expanding this universe. Let us go on an adventure with this Batman so we'll care about him when he fights Superman and establish his more stylized world so that when you blend it with the relatively more grounded reality of Man of Steel, it's not this tonal whiplash where it suddenly feels like a more comic booky universe. Or try the totally opposite approach Marvel took. Instead of introducing each of these characters in their own movies, start with a teen movie and work your way backwards. Starting with Superman is still logical because he's the first superhero and the logical basis for your world. Doing Justice League right after that doesn't have to feel retroactive or rushed. You make Justice League about Superman meeting other superheroes and taking them under his wing to form a team. You know, like Batman does when we get to Justice League. And then you branch out from there. When Justice League Mortal was almost made, I thought that was a really good idea, and interestingly, was in development before the MCU. Instead of trying to catch up to the competition or copying them, you flip the script and make it all feel fresh by saying, you already know all these characters, and now you get one-on-one -on -one time with them. I think that is just as valid, as long as the Justice League movie doesn't feel bloated and makes it too much about every single character there. You gotta focus on one or two. And if Marvel had the foresight to know they had a cultural phenomenon on their hands, they could have just as easily done the same with Avengers. Instead, we have this bizarre hybrid thing, a clone mixed with alien DNA and left in the chamber too long. It's Doomsday, a weird, ugly hodgepodge that just kills everything. 
It plays like two solo superhero movies at the same time and a pseudo team building movie. And whatever the second movie was, it shouldn't have constantly teased another huge event while hardly connecting those elements to its own story until the end. Imagine if Richard Donner's Superman couldn't go 20 minutes without bringing up Zod before we actually get to that guy. These movies were too good for after credit scenes initially, but I don't see how shoving in Darkseid references and convoluted time travel shenanigans into the movie proper is any classier or less confusing than just having a guy walk out at the end and say, you're part of a larger universe. And it really shouldn't have killed its first superhero before we or the fictional world had a chance to properly be inspired by him. I'm partial to the death of Superman, so part of the reason I hate that is because this movie clearly doesn't understand that material. But that's not a good idea regardless. The heroes turn against each other, they come back together again, and then one of them makes the epic sacrifice to save the world. When Aquaman threw everything it could think of in its movie, it felt like it was because it was afraid it wouldn't get more movies. This was part of a five-movie epic, and it doesn't have a three-act structure. It's 13 episodes of television. In his commentary, Snyder even talks about it like a TV show. But it's not that compressed TV season into too little time like Age of Ultron was. It's a three-hour movie that feels like 13 whole hours of television. Ugh, do I bleed? My fingers are from writing this review. Okay, I've hit the broad strokes, and if this were 2012, I'd probably end the review there. But I put this thing off longer than I did The Dark Knight Rises and thought about it nearly as much. So I've got plenty to say, and I'm sure some of you were hoping for the full wax and wash on this one. There's so much more to unpack, so many questions to ask. I'm afraid if I wrote about everything in my traditional format, getting to those things inside larger character and theme sections, I'd have to leave too much out. So I'm going to do something I have never done in a Superhero Rewind before. Over the next two episodes, I'm going to tackle the details chronologically. I'm going to try to hit everything else I'm confused about, actually impressed by, and support some of my aforementioned arguments in the order things appear in the movie. I probably won't talk about every scene and mention every single moment, but I'm going to get to a lot of it. This will either be a fun change of pace or the most tedious thing I have ever done. It's BVS month on Superhero Rewind. And then I'll discuss the theatrical version of Justice League just before the Snyder Cut comes out on HBO Max. At the end of this series, I'll get, of course, to tweet-length reviews and my rating. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Ba, ba.